Hello and welcome to the Found Cause. We are found on cars and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my virtual front is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Hey, Sebastian, how's it day been? It's been going all right. Busy with work, but hanging in there. How about you? We got a mutual text from our friend of the channel, contributor, original founder Theodore, um, a video this day, and it's definitely going to be our next reaction video. So stay tuned for that, in which a Protestant defender apologist of the faith a young man and probably older than us but a younger man named cameron Bertstelli, i forget how to say his name and i'm even forgetting his channel name right now again we'll react to it next week but has been slowly inching his way towards uh catholic beliefs in the the frame of oh i'm debating a catholic and just capitulating to everything he has to say and again i don't know his motivations he might be devious in in doing that because he's actually converted to catholicism under our very eyes and our nose or he's just not very good at defending the faith and whatever um in any case i thought it would be fitting today to discuss the background information for that reaction video and that is the topic of ecumenism as a whole so without further ado Sebastian, could you give a brief synopsis of what ecumenism means? And then I can elaborate. Mm -hmm. Sure. So with ecumenism, particularly with religion, is the idea of working together, tendency to really unite under one single banner, particularly one church movement. Yes. So when we say ecumenism, it can mean a lot of things. Uh, for example, it is ecumenical, the descriptor of ecumenism, it is ecumenical for Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches to get along and then set up a conference together because they agree on a lot of things, right? So they still are different church bodies, so they're not joining together, and that's for a reason or not. You know, it could be theological reasons, it could be just logistical reasons. In any case, they're not together, but they agree on some common ground points that they come together for to unite. So... Um, ecumenism can be a perfectly agreeable thing that I'm agreeable to, um, and that, that Sebastian, you're agreeable to as well. I, I'm agreeable to getting along with Presbyterians, even if we won't join the same church as them. Um, however, there is one kind of ecumenism that the world gets along with, and honestly, mainstream evangel evangelicalism is pretty darn fine with, uh, in fact, encourages that we would refute on this podcast, and I want to I want to make it very clear that it is an important issue and it's not just being a cranky old Calvinist and it's not just being a nitpicker or some weird discernment blogger that needs to like point out who's evil all the time to say this. Ecumenism with non-Christian Christian movements is evil and we should cease it. So although many of those Christian movements, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, whoever, might agree with true Christians on a lot of things, we cannot accept somebody who categorically denies the gospel into our fold and, and and bring them in as fellow christians because they aren't they deny the gospel and we should hold them as such the bible says scripture says to not even let those people into your house so um while i think that's a category the bible is describing there of of ways that you let them so i don't think it's a legalistic saying saying you cannot let them into your house the the phrase really means um, don't associate with them don't make people think that you're associated with people who deny the gospel so in that spirit we're going to talk about the biggest category of ecumenism that happens here in the States. It happens worldwide, and that is with the Catholic Church and Protestants. So the Catholic Church, um, and, and usually when people say ecumenism, they really, really mean Catholics and Protestants getting along, as opposed to many other ways you could use ecumenism. The Catholic Church mm -hmm. has been um, very anti-Protestant for years. They were obviously notoriously during the Reformation very anti-Protestant. There was all the wars of religion over Protestantism. They, um, of course excommunicated protestants but they also inquisited protestants and executed protestants 
people that were against the church, and they have categorically denied Protestants the um, privilege of being inside the Catholic Church if you hold to certain things. So you have an original statement, Sebastian, of the original response to the Reformation from the Catholic Church that still holds today, technically, has never been refuted, and that is the um, canons that come out of the Council of Trent back in the 1500s. Could you read the section that most concerns Protestants and why we would separate from the Catholic Church? Yes, yes, this is from the section on justification, and it's Canon 9. If anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, that is not in any way necessary, that he be prepared to dispose by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. So, pretty much attacking the main point of faith alone, that was the whole point of the of the Reformation in, mm -hmm. in addition, and I would just mention this briefly, on Canon 11, if anyone said that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Jesus Christ or by the sole remission of sins, the exclusion of the grace and charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Spirit and is inherent in them, or even that the grace whereby we're justified is only the favor of God, let it be anathema. So, um, in that sense, we, we kind of agree because they're saying that yes, it's a yes. heart transformation, right? And equally, they, in the same canons, they deny anybody who says that you are um, not, that you can be saved without grace, right? So I think that's what you're quoting there is generally what they're saying. You can't be saved apart from grace, even in Catholicism, certainly in, in our belief in yep. Christian teaching. Um, you cannot save yourself or be saved just by God's favor as opposed to his transformation of your heart. But equally, they say that you cannot be saved by faith alone. You have to work it out and that's where we say that's a denial of the gospel amongst many things the catholics do that we highly disagree with and um, that mm -hmm. is the central gospel piece that i would refute the catholic church as being christian they once were christian pre-council of trent there were many churches within the roman catholic church um, that held to proper biblical authority but once they made that creed and that is um, a stance on which they separate other churches out of their organization from. So if a Catholic church believes in salvation by faith alone, they would be considered anathema, cut off, that is non-Christian. If they don't um, hold to the Catholic version of that, that is when the Catholic church ceased to be a Christian church with many flaws and started being an apostate church, much like any other cultic movements. So uh, we've done other episodes in that. We've done other episodes in Catholicism. You can certainly go back to our, our archive and check out more justification for why we would not consider the Roman Catholics our brothers in Christ. That's not to say the Roman Catholicism, of course, is huge. So it's not to say that we know that every single individual person who considers themselves a Catholic is not saved, but we would say the church as a whole is not a saving church. It is a false gospel. All that said, the Catholic Church today, um, again, back in Vatican, or back in the Council of Trent days, that is what they use to bludgeon people into joining the Catholic Church, right? You are anathema if you don't believe in our doctrine and then come into the Holy Church. Equally, in the Council of Trent and other councils and decrees by, by popes, they've said that if you are outside of the Church, if you don't consider yourself part of the Catholic Church, you are also damned. You are apart from Christ. You are apart from salvation. However, and, the, and all those creeds, by the way, stay true. They have not been refuted. They've been enunciated officially ex cathedra from the Church, from councils, etc., However, fast forward to 1960, there is a very famous nowadays council called Vatican II, the second council of the Vatican, um, which states 
basically the opposite intent of the church. And popes from John Paul II until the pope today have been pushing for the opposite. Instead of trying to force unity by um, calling others damned to hell, they're trying to promote unity by saying, we're all really one Christians, come back onto the faith. I think you're saved. You're not a bad boy. While still holding the Council of Trent, they have not refuted the Council of Trent. So they're holding two things in their hands. Um, I want to quote Vatican II just so you know it. This is from Unitates Redigid Gratio. I don't know, some section of Vatican II. The restoration of unity among all Christians is one of the principal concerns of the Second Vatican Council. And that is ecumenism. So the restoration of unity among all Christians is one of the principal concerns of the Second Vatican Council. And here's a quote from John Paul II, who was the Pope at the time. He says, Thus, it is absolutely clear that ecumenism, the movement promoting Christian unity, is not just some sort of appendix which is added to the Church's traditional activity. Rather, ecumenism is an organic part of her life and work, and consequently must pervade all that she does and is. So, the express intent of the Catholic Church over the last 50-60 years has been to reunite the Protestants back in with a gentler tone than Inquisition and, and separation. Because um, when the Catholic Church really lost the Reformation and became the non-dominant in Northern Europe especially, um, it separated and became much more of a minority religion in the countries in which it was a minority. For example, the United States Catholics would adopt practices that would make sure that they were separated from their Protestant brethren because they didn't want to fall into the Protestant traps. Whereas today, the technique of the church is to present themselves as fellow Christians on Christian fights. For example, in the United States especially, Catholics are one of the biggest pushers of pro-life things. And so often, Protestant churches and Catholic churches will unite in charities or events or sponsorships and sponsoring pro-life things against abortion. However, it should be noted, and you'd think, okay, we can get along in that. I would, I would warn you that things like that, not just abortion specifically, but things like that should be avoided. If you incidentally both hold the same stance, that's fine. But I wouldn't join hands with Muslims who also are pro-life, if, if they are. Of course, Muslims come in every creed and, and, and shape, as, as do Christians, quote-unquote. Um, but if you had pro-life Muslims, I would not hold hands with them and say, let's start a charity together, let's start a movement together, let's go attend an event together, representing Christ with my Muslim brothers in faith. We would never do that. The Muslims don't have the gospel. Equally, we should not do that with Catholics. And it should be noted on the abortion issue, just incidentally, anecdotally, um, uniting with the Catholics has not been good for the Christian church or America as a whole in the pro-life issue because Catholics have been the ones that have stood around as the leading money suckers, the leading um, protesters for pro-life. They have put in all of the pro-abortion um, laws in the states. M the majority of laws in the United States that promote and allow abortion are exception clauses where the states previously had had anti-abortion laws the majorly catholic pro-life institutions would go in and say okay 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 we don't actually hold to this current anti-abortion law because of roe v wade so we're going to put it in a law that says actually abortion is legal except you have to get permission to mother. you have to have a clean hospital to do it in. you have to um, check for a heartbeat so as much as I appreciate the sentiment behind wanting to limit abortion, they've actually went and legalized abortion across a majority of the states. And um, equally, of course, we know that abortion is still rampant in the United States. So these pro-life efforts have been pretty much useless. And of course, some of that is Protestant fault too, but it's not like the Catholics have been a great spearhead there. And I would say, again, because they're not led by God, they're led by a false doctrine, false God. Um, all that being said, so the, those are the, that's the new direction of the Catholic Church is towards ecumenism. I think we should hold fast as Christians against ecumenism, um, not between Christians, but against the Catholic Church in particular, who's pushing it the most. 
let's talk about the current Pope Sebastian. The current Pope, uh, I don't know, uh, what, would you, what would you describe the current Pope as? Uh, John Paul II was the one that gave this, um, was, was alive during Vatican II, and he gave that, that statement about wanting to be friends again with Christian churches. Um, how would you describe Francis in, in relation to the Popes out there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Unorthodox. I think that's the the, the yeah. most diplomatic way I can I can describe him compared to other other previous popes who, especially like even middle aged popes from the middle ages, mm-hmm. they probably have never even recognized or shaken hands. They probably would have rather shake hands with John Calvin than with than with the current pope, based on Catholic teaching. So not not as a personality, not his, he's a very nice man. I'm sure he's very gentle. He's South American, so it's probably. A joy, a fun to be around, you know, no bias there. And uh, theologically speaking, he's really loose with Catholic teachings. As you were talking about ecumenism, something that he pushed for, and I don't know if it's ex cathedra but, you know, he did release a statement of cooperation with Muslims. And as I, as I was reading it, they're very careful on uh, just using God or people who believe in God through faith. You know, mm-hmm. very nice, gentle towns, even though, don't you know, the popes called their crusades against uh, the Muslims to retake Jerusalem or during the siege of Vienna and whatnot. So the pope is very, very progressive. Theologically speaking, he is the definition of ecumenism, and he is not well-liked by a big chunk of Roman Catholics, traditional ones. And he also something that just recently happened. He is against Latin mass, like mass Roman the church service in Latin, mm-hmm. which a lot of Catholics like their Latin mass. So he's not, he's, he's speaking, he's trying to be, you know, not, not social, but what's the word? When you're trying to bring everyone together, besides ecumen- ecumenical, not that word, but a different one. Amenable to all the parties. Amenable, amenable, excellent. Yes, amenable, but he's, creating some big divisions, ironically, within Catholicism. Yes. So with all that background on the Pope, it's not surprising, again, that he has been another push for ecumenism. Now, he's not the first. Like, Latin Mass was first um, allowed to be changed under Vatican II, so the many churches went ahead and took out the Latin Mass, the traditional, you know, spoken their actual languages in, mm-hmm. in Mass. I, that's a change I agree with, not that I'm supportive of the Catholic Church and not that I'm really supportive of them becoming more liberal, but of all the changes the Vatican to allow, taking a Latin Mass is fine. However, um, so that happened before Pope Francis's time. However, Pope Francis himself, like you said, has put out statements. I, I'm still kind of confused on this front. I don't know if it's official Catholic teaching, because I don't think Pope Francis is the first to put out that kind of thing or that statement from the Church, um, but saying that not only Muslims, but also Jews are fellow believers in the same God. And although they disagree, we should consider them like bare faith believers and that they will go through purgatory and whatever else, which is kind of um, the exact opposite of Council of Trent, which says that if you're a Protestant, you know, you'd think the God of Protestantism would be a little closer to the Catholic God than uh, Muslims or Jews who don't believe in the Trinity, who reject Jesus as Godhood and all the rest, right? Um, Don't believe in the New Testament, etc., depending on who you ask. Uh, the Protestants who believe in the New Testament, believe Jesus is God, believe in the Trinity, um, believe in by salvation by faith and, and the transformation of the heart and all that that is required, that Jews reject, that Muslims reject, um, that their God is anathema, 
right? Meaning that if you believe in that God and that gospel, you are cut off from the church, cut off from salvation, no purgatory, right? That that would be what anathema means, as the Council of Trent means. <laughs> but at the same time, they hold that Jews and Muslims are somehow saved by bare faith. Um, that's, of course, hypocritical. It's not, it's not a solid foundation. And so in the same vein, as you might imagine, this Pope and others after Vatican II have enunciated the same kind of things towards Protestants, saying that Protestants also are in the same category as Jews and Muslims, except they haven't officially taught that one, I know, because it's directly counter to the Council of Trent. And not that they, ha- I, I don't think they have any problem with going against Catholic teaching explicitly, um, but they haven't taught that officially. And they refrain from saying that just because it's it's been their identity as a church for so long, for 400 years now, um, to be not Protestant. That to say that Protestants are also saved is like defeating a portion of the church's mission set for the last 400 years. But yeah, something that has been changing, though, and it's worth it to mention, just quickly mention, is that there has been more cooperation with other traditional, if you want to call them that, churches, ancient churches, like the Eastern Orthodox and mm-hmm. the Coptic, and also yeah. the Nestorians in Iraq. They considered them, by definition, schismatics, whereas they consider us heretics. You yeah. see the difference? Yes, yeah. because they also reject the gospel, as we talked to before as well, right? So although they were ancient enemies back when those churches were live and well, the Coptic Church and the Orthodox Church, now that they're all dead, run by dead people, um, they're like, oh, yeah, let's high five. And so they basically, uh, the Pope, Pope Current has been trying to assuage the schisms there. Um, the thing is, though, uh, as, mu- as like soft and mushy as the current pope is, the whole organization, of course, how would it, is not going to dissolve itself to be ruled by the Orthodox Church or dissolve itself into a bunch of federalized churches running themselves under one new church government. Um, They, of course, still ask that you send all money to the Vatican, that you send tithes to the Vatican, that you officially recognize the pope as as the vicar of Christ on earth and as the head cardinal. And so these healing of schisms that the pope has had media publish about him and meetings with the eastern orthodox church and the coptic church the Armenian church and whatever else they're not really mending the schism because the eastern orthodox church is never going to submit to the pope like even though they're seething and non-christians themselves and entirely political and corrupt they're not going to cede their power and money to be under the pope why would they so they're not really mending the schism they're just like opening up relations again to like talk to each other and tweet to each other, I suppose. Um, so really like a nothing burger there. And then equally, um, the call to those churches from the Catholic church is officially come back into the mother church, right? Like, Oh, sorry, you left sweetie. You're the one that got away. Come back into the Catholic church. So, so it is a pretty domineering call to say, come back under the Pope, come back under this yoke of slavery, right? Come back under me, the King of all popes, the King of all patriarchs. Um, but I love you, kiss, kiss. So they, as soft as Francis is, and as um, non-Orthodox to the Catholic Church and teachings as he is, he still hasn't faltered on that. And again, how how could he? Would he say you'd be like part of the Catholic Church, but you can be patriarchs and you don't have to pay tithe to the Vatican? I don't even know. I don't know how he would even address that issue. But yeah, he's never going to get those churches to come back into his fold just for political reasons. Exactly. At the most, at the most, the from my recollection, the Patriarch of Constantinople gave him, I don't, I don't know if it's official or whatnot, but gave him the title First Among Equals. Because, but it, then again, it's that doesn't mean really much. It's just, you know, a nice handshake, I suppose, at that point. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, I don't, I don't foresee a union between them. And there's no reason to. Very different. You have to if you're really Catholic, because there's still actual hardcore Catholics and it's cardinals and bishops and whatnot. There is no salvation outside of the church. And the Orthodox claim to be, I am the true church of Christ. The Catholics say, I am the true church of Christ. So you see a tiny, tiny conflict right there. Yes. But here's where the strategy might work. And so this is where I think it's more relevant to Christians here in the United States, more relevant to Protestants. And this is why we're doing this kind of episode to warn you that attempts like this are actively being undertaken. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's the active strategy of the Catholic Church to do this kind of thing. So I don't think we should be surprised when somebody like Cameron Bertsalizzi, whatever his, his last name, the guy that we'll be reacting to next week, is a Protestant that's like, oh, Catholic ideas are interesting. Or other, I mean, perfectly conservative politically commentators are combining with Catholic forces. I, I listen to Catholic commentators that are political. I listen to Catholic theologians to hear what they have to say, but we should not consider them brothers in Christ. So equally, mm. when you hear um, Protestants making it like it's a non-big deal, like being a Catholic is as big of a deal as being a you know, Presbyterian versus a Baptist, it is not. They are a different belief. It should be as repulsive to us as Mormonism is, just like I voted for, I would have, I wasn't old enough, I would have voted for Mitt Romney, though he was a flaming Mormon, um, and I listen to people who are Mormon, like uh, Glenn Beck is somebody that I would listen to. I don't listen to him without realizing he is a Mormon. I don't hold his hand and say, yeah, we're both brothers in Christ. We're not. He's a Mormon. So equally, don't be surprised when, when Protestants are not making a big deal of it, because that is the current Catholic strategy, and we should be virulently against that, especially because they are attempting to deceive. So if they weren't attempting to deceive, it wouldn't be such a flaming issue, but because they are, I think we need to be acutely aware of ecumenical strategies from their side. Um, and here's my conclusion. While the Catholics cannot um, effectively bring back into the fold churches like the full Eastern Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, or big churches with big patriarchies and, um, and single leaders that have a lot of conflicting power, they can snag up the many, many, especially in the United States, but also across the world, many independent, crappy, non-denominational, charismatic churches in the United States. So whether they're charismatic or not, there's many, many independent churches in the U.S. that flip between different denominations officially all the time, um, different organizations that head them. So it's not that big of a deal for an independent church like that to come under the yoke of the Catholic Church. It would be just like coming under the yoke of the Southern Baptist Convention as far as they just join it, um, they adhere to some central doctrine, and then they um, pay dues. And they get they benefit from other things. The Catholic Church does send out money and grants and other things like that for the churches that are part of it. And so those churches are much more reasonable acquisition for the Catholic Church. And so, not surprisingly, the Catholic Church has made it an effort to reach out to independent churches here in the United States, of which, again, there are many, and try to sway them to join the Catholic Church or to come back or at least teach the congregation that Catholics are brothers in faith and that we should, we've should we gone astray. I'm thinking, and, and they've been marginally successful. I would say usually they try things and nobody gives them the time of day because who likes Catholics? Who likes religion these days in general, right? It's declining religion in the United States. <laughs> However, um, there's two categories of, of Christians that it has been particularly successful in. One has been hyper charismatics. Charismatics already extremely schismatic in the United States. They hold to no one. They instantly break away as soon as they disagree with something. As soon as somebody quenches their spirit, they're running away, um, which is one of their faults. Um, we've talked about charismatics in the, the podcast before. They're not, I'm not mm -hmm. necessarily bashing them all for the things they do, but they do many wrong things typically. And so they are also usually highly independent, spearheaded by one or two major pastors, and they are um, not well-read. So they're not ones that would be calling out the Catholics for denying the gospel because hardly they 
only know the very basics of the gospel if they know it at all anyways. And so charismatic Catholic churches that exist in the United States have been reaching out to charismatic Protestant churches, um, essentially saying, giving them false church history, which we've discussed many times about Catholicism before, and how um, the Catholic church has always been around, and it's the true church, and look, I'm charismatic, and I believe in Jesus, and Jesus is my savior, and um, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and we're basically the same thing. You've just left the real church. So now we have this new revelation for you. Come back in the Catholic Church. And so that kind of preaching has gone across many, many charismatic churches today. Do I know of many that have switched to being Catholic? No, <laughs> actually, I don't know of any. Um, so maybe the strategy won't work at all, but it is a, it would be a dreadful time to see that strategy work or delude anyone in the church because they might not switch to the church itself, but they might switch members of the church to join the Catholic Church. Um, and it's not just, so that's one group, Charismatics, are being targeted by the Catholic Church here in a decently successful rate, i.e. the Catholic Church is able to preach in front of Protestants and say that kind of drivel. Um, but equally, so it's not just the Charismatics, it's also big old non-denominational churches that are being friendly and cozy and allowing Catholics to come and speak on those terms about coming together again on ecumenism in the United States. There's a very famous pastor in California, Saddlebrook Church, I think is the, the name of Rick Warren's church. Rick Warren is the author of mm. Purpose Driven Life and some other famous books. And now he's gone squish, um, as many pastors have. Uh, and in that squish, way before, like 10 years prior to becoming a, a liberal squish, he also... Um, was allowing Catholics in to say that very thing, right? The Catholics would say, he wouldn't say it from the pulpit, but the Catholics would come in to the church gathered and say, we're all one in Christ, we're all brothers in Christ, um, we should come back to the church and all get along. And so I would not be surprised if many members of Saddlebrook and others, Saddleback, that church out in California, have not only considered Catholics brothers in faith in Christ, but also they themselves maybe join Catholic churches, marry Catholic people, whatever, which I think, again, is a big mistake for the children of those marriages, for your own faith, for rejection of the gospel yourself. Um, and equally, it's not just, they're not they're not a one-off, that kind of non-denominational church. There's a, a famous pastor, Francis Chan, who, I'm saying this in oh. hindsight, so take it with salt, but I've never liked, he's one of these over-emotional guys, but he was he's a Calvinist, so he made the rounds in Calvinism. Um, and he is now suddenly into the Eucharist and the fact that we've we've left the Catholic Church. So has he become a Catholic? No, not official. But he's, for the last five years, I think, he's been making videos about how we've made all this mistake and misunderstanding the Eucharist and why we've, because um, of course that's that's the real reason we reject the Catholic Church is I'm dribbled about the Eucharist. Not really. Um, we already talked about the central Catholic doctrine what, that we reject and why we're separate from the Catholic Church. But he's been putting out a bunch of apologetic videos about you know, I'm sorry for being Protestant. <laughs> the Catholic has it right, or the Orthodox have it right, or whatever. All the crappy churches have it right. Um, and again, he's an influential Calvinist preacher, so it's not even—he's not even a squishy theologically um, preacher like Saddleback would be. He's a Calvinist, prolific preacher who is now um, being very ecumenical with the Catholic Church, which again we would highly reject. I worry for Francis Chan's salvation because of his ecumenism there. Same with Rick Warren's for multiple reasons. And these charismatics, I worry for their leaders for a lot of reasons. I'm sure um, they all have their unique different problems, but if they're allowing Catholics to come and speak, they're at least being naive and at most being a wolf from the pulpit. So that's why we made this episode to call out that kind of practice. It is evil. It's not sharing the gospel. It is allowing, it is opening up your congregation and opening up yourself if you've been involved in those kind of ecumenical things to a false gospel, a false church, and we should call it out for what it is. It doesn't mean you stone Catholics. It doesn't mean like Mormons. It doesn't mean that you um, vehemently disagree with anything a Mormon is putting out because a lot of times they put out stuff we agree with and equally for Catholics. A lot of times Catholics put out stuff that we agree with, but we shouldn't consider them brothers in Christ. 
because the dangerous false gospel they promote. Exactly, exactly. And as I was, you know, mentioning to you before, just eating, reading from the Council of Trent, we agree the, with the not with the one that I quoted, but with a prior canon that if you're justified before God by your own works or by your own nature or whatnot, outside the grace of God, let it be anathema. So mm -hmm. we agree, we agree with that, right? But the next part, they get terribly wrong that it is just by uh, faith alone with the grace of God alone. So they add something to that. And we have a high calling from the apostle in Galatians, the apostle Paul, anyone who adds anything to the gospel, let him be anathema. So mm -hmm. I would say, actually, you guys have left the true, the true church. So my strategy is to say, you, Michael and I, we are Catholic, we're just not Roman Catholic. We're actually yeah. the original church. And something that pains me, really pains me, is that many people who call themselves Protestants, they're just out of, you know, you may believe it, but are you, but do you, you might have actually repented to Christ, but do you really understand, do you internalize, do you reason why you go to your church? So I think part of that is really kind of missing from mm -hmm. many churches in the U.S. And like you said earlier, the Catholic Church, not that it was fine, but it was a Christian church before it actually, probably until probably 12, 1300. So, you know, that's a good 1,200 years. Uh -huh. that they had Christians in them. It's pretty good. The Orthodox Church, too, you know, they had their good run until probably, what, 13... Oh, yeah, 1300s as well, Hesychasm. So we're not denying that they were not Christians at one point. But based on these decrees, take seriously their claims. It's not just this little thing. If you understand history, I think you will actually understand how they have gone wrong in this pattern. It will bring context, it will bring clarity, it makes sense why we cannot associate with them because of how much they have changed or how much they have departed from Christ. Protestants have stayed with Christ. These people have departed from Christ. And and just for clarity, in case again you watch our other Catholic episodes and we go more into depth of this, but when we say Protestant, um, usually we mean, but we don't mean it exclusively. Um, we mean real believing Christians, right? <laughs> but technically Protestant, uh, colloquially used, it means European descended Christianity that split from the Catholic Church on that issue in the Council of Trent on salvation by faith alone. So I wouldn't hold that just because a church is not Protestant, isn't from the European tradition of Christianity, that they are not saved. However, most church groups that you think of that are non-Protestant official are probably also gospel deniers. So I hold open to ecumenism with those who believe the same gospel as me, but just because somebody says they love Jesus or they believe in the Trinity does not mean they are a fellow brother and sister in Christ. So that's the trouble with the Catholic Church. Um, equally, and let me just quote on the gospel issue, again, we've discussed this further in depth and we quote a lot more of the Bible and reasons why we separate from the Catholic Church. It's not just that portion of the Council of Trent, but that is a major reason. Um, I would quote Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which says that for by grace you have been saved through faith, which Catholics 100% agree. They say, yes, by grace we've been saved through faith. But then Paul goes on to say, this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So not only is the faith not from you, which Catholics might agree with that, but many would not, just like many Protestants um, also fight on that issue. But they also, he also says the grace um, is not from works so that no one can boast. So the grace given to you is not given to you 
because of works nor through works. It is given to you just like the faith was given to you by God. So yes, Christians produce works and it's a sign that you're saved. And we'd all agree with that, right? We'd all agree that repentance is a sign of salvation. And if you don't repent, I would assume you are not saved, right? Because that is a, an absolute sign, the first sign of salvation. The first sign of the Holy Spirit reworking your heart is the repentance from sin. But it's not actually repentance that saves you. It's the covering of Jesus's blood that saves you. So any Christian that doesn't repent, I would say, yeah, is not saved. But God saves, not the man. The man's action did not save. So the Catholics say that God's grace is given through his, your works. So it's a grace that you are allowed to be baptized and baptism is a requirement of salvation. Equally, it's a grace that you've been allowed to be inside the Catholic Church and being inside the Catholic Church is a necessary means of salvation. It's a grace that you believe that Mary ascended to heaven. If you don't, it's a rejection of um, the God. They say that's anathema. That makes you anathema to reject the dogma that Mary ascended to heaven. Uh, which, of course, is found nowhere in the scriptures. It's purely a teaching traditional of the church. And to not believe that is not compromising on the gospel at all. But they say it is just by decree of the church. That, again, is adding to the gospel. It's putting in works. It's putting in false beliefs. We, again, we have other episodes in this, but those are reasons we reject them as brothers in Christ. It's not just a tiny little issue. They are serious things. And we should not accept people's testimony of, oh, I love Jesus, or I believe in the Trinity, or I believe that man has sinned. None of those, while well, those are important aspects of the gospel, yes, none of those things constitute salvation, and we shouldn't be fooled by Catholics or others, Orthodox or Coptic or whoever else, that hold to the same things but actually reject another aspect of the gospel. Wouldn't have said it better myself, man. Any last uh, things you want to talk about about ecumenism or Catholicism before we let everyone go, Sebastian? I would say, you know, just as a call to, for us speaking of repentance, to those who are watching, whether you're part of the Roman Church, and understand you have heard the, about the life of Jesus. You have heard his ministry. I know, because, you know, I had attended Mass myself. Yes, this is all well and good. But what was his calling? Repent and believe. Turn to Christ. And as we know from the book of Hebrews, Christ has died once and for all. So you do not need to get some infusions, boosters, every Sunday when you receive the unbloody sacrifice of the Eucharist. That, that's literally it. Like that's, is, is it not an, your, your weekly infusion of salvation? That's pretty much it. No, it's once and for all. Read it yourself. I'm not, I'm not taking this out of my armpits. This is actually from the epistles of Paul and his sacrifice. The atonement is perfect atonement. So by trusting in that, by recognizing your own evil, you are not capable on your own account to work your way up to God. Clearly, otherwise, what would Jesus have to die? Turn to him and him alone, and he is a perfect savior. You don't need to go on a hamster wheel. You don't need to get your infusions every Sunday. The priest is not an, another Christ. There's only one Christ. That's their name. They call themselves Alta Christus. There's just one Jesus. He is high priest. There's no other priest on earth, please. There's no other priest. Turn to him and him alone. We're not justified by works of the law. As Paul put it, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So that is our calling in the found cause. That's why we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in that way. I've been Michael by my machine. Thanks for listening and virtually has been Sebastian the Bookkeeper. 
Now remember, we will do a response video to this very issue, and this is the background video to that. So stay tuned. Next week, we can put that out. Uh, if you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can download them all at foundcause.podbean.com if you want to get the audio only. If you want to see our videos, you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause or go to YouTube and search us up, foundcause. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere else you might listen to your podcast. So until next week, when we do that very reaction video, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.